If you're going to follow along today uh, in the app, you can follow along. There are notes and stuff in there. We're going to be mostly in Exodus 32. If you pick up one of the Bibles on the uh, chair next to you there, you can follow along. Exodus 32 is where you'd want to put the, uh, your thumb. Um, yeah, it's really fun to watch you guys hang out. Uh, it's a good time. So I, uh, I always want to be part of a church where I know people. And that's why we do the question of the day. So you'll get to know different people. And I know it's a little bit uncomfortable sometimes because it makes you talk to somebody for a little bit of time. Although I do notice people get up and go to the bathroom or go fresh in their coffee, and that's okay. I'm not trying to like torment anyone. Um, if you are that big of an introvert, no one's going to judge you if you just sit there and watch what's happening and don't engage. That's okay. Um, but our goal is to not let you slide into church and slide out of church and never have a connection with anyone and never have a conversation with anyone. That's not what we're going for here. Uh, we want this to feel like a family, and so if you're going to come be part of our family, sorry, we're just going to talk to you. That's it. That's, uh, that's the way it's going to be. So uh, we are in our last week of a beautiful resistance, and this uh, sermon series has been really based on the book by John Tyson, which is called The Beautiful Resistance, which I highly recommend. I didn't do every single chapter in that book or every single idea. There's a lot more uh, meat on the bone if it's something that you want to go and read. Uh, it's really good. But basically the idea is that as, and I, I think it'll be full born today, like the idea that, that the book is based on, uh, is the idea that Christians, we should live differently in this world, that we should kind of put up a resistance by putting our feet firmly in the place that God has called us to live and live the way that he has called us to live, not give in to the things that are very common in our culture, or maybe the caricature that the world builds of what a Christian is. Um, that's one of those things that frustrates me the most is that there seems to be this caricature of what a Christian is and people sort of buy into that and then they sort of build their idea of what Christianity is based on this this caricature. And, you know, it's not like we haven't earned that nationally maybe and that our version of Christianity today is kind of got issues. There are things that we really need to work through. There are things that we think about as leaders here at this church. Um, but it really bothers me when people sort of have this idea based on the way that Christians live that they are a certain way. And one of the things I love to do, and we've been talking a lot about how to share your faith on our podcast and also in the last couple of sermons, is that I just, I just kind of want people to be um, kind of blown away by when they meet someone who's a Christian who doesn't fit into the stereotype or the caricature that they have in their head of what it means to be a Christian. That's the kind of Christianity that I think we're called to live in this culture because the culture, we don't really have to do much. The culture's moving away from us, right? It's moving pretty fast away from what it means to be a believer in Jesus. So if you just set your feet firmly in the place that God has called you to be, it's not hard to kind of change people's idea of what it means to be a believer by just being very simple in what you're doing and following Christ the way that he's called you to follow him. And so we've talked about issues like apathy, not giving in to apathy, but instead exchanging apathy for hunger, like wanting to know more about God and wanting to follow him and wanting to have more passion in our relationship with him, uh, not giving in to privilege, not uh, accepting and taking advantage of privilege, but uh, working on being the kind of person that sacrifices for others. Um, and I just, to me, it's like that's one of those things where you can take a hot-button topic that people want to divide over, and you can just kind of move the entire issue aside and just say, I'm going to practice sacrifice 
and I'm not going to take advantage of privilege. So you can talk about it all day long. It's just not going to be something that I look for or try to use. I'm going to sacrifice for other people. I'm going to die to, to the world around me, and I'm going to pick up my cross and follow Jesus in a world that is built on privilege. It seems like everybody's taking advantage of as much privilege as they possibly can, and as Christians, we should just be sacrificing all over the place. Um, cynicism, that we won't give in to cynicism, but that we'll fight cynicism with celebration, you know, that we won't give in to fear of others, but we'll fight that with hospitality, um, that we won't give in to exhaustion, but that we'll run in rhythms that allow us to rest. And these are all things, I think, that the culture is kind of moving in one direction, and as Christians, we're not called to go with the culture. We're not called to be like the culture. We're called to do the things that God has called us to do, and there's these antidotes in Scripture that are there for us to put into practice. I mean, we've talked about rest, hospitality, celebration, sacrifice, and hunger. Those are things that should mark Christians, not the culture around. Like, not we shouldn't look like the culture around us. We should look like, like that, like people who are thoughtful and who are intentional and who are making decisions on purpose to follow Jesus and to be different than the culture around us. Today, we're going to finish up the series with um, idolatry. And you're like, yeah, I don't know. Idolatry is a tough one because in one regard, we, and we're going to look at this, uh, this story today, we kind of think of idols as these images that are made by someone's hands, right? So the idea that like, you know, there's this golden calf in Exodus that we're going to look at this story today. And we think, well, I don't have any like statues to Buddha in my house, right? Like, there's not, you won't walk into my house and see like golden images all over my house. Like, I don't understand why, you know, idolatry is a thing for, for our world because I don't have these images that are made by people's hands, you know, and I don't, I'm not lighting incense to them. I'm not, you know, giving sacrifices to them. Like, this seems kind of weird and I don't know anyone that does that kind of stuff. And I think in reality, we have to think about idolatry in a different way. And to me, it, it really is a misordered uh, way of loving things in the world, right? And what happens is we almost exchange our worship of God for worship of other things that we think will solve some of our problems or bring us peace or will put us into a place where we kind of feel like we're in the, you know, moving in the right direction. And we start, to, we start to honor and revere and worship things that were never meant to be honored and revered and worshiped. So, it's not necessarily a statue in your house. I want you to kind of take that image out. That's what it was for the Israelites the first time we were really seeing idolatry be tackled. But it's not that way for us. For us, idolatry, things that are just out of order, things that have become more important than God in our lives, are things that are very common and things that we all do want. Some of these things are really good, but when we take like a really good thing and we turn it into sort of a God thing in our lives, we're off track. There's a problem here. Like we've taken something that was meant to be something that would uh, you know, add to our lives or be a piece of our lives, and we've turned it into something that we worship or is the most important thing. And some of those things in our world today, obviously money, obviously power, control, um, you know, physical uh, things that you own or things that you, you know, are status symbols can fall into that. Sex can fall into that. Uh, people can fall into that. You know, in Minnesota, our families are so important. Sometimes they can become parts, things that we worship, right? In our, so there are a lot of things that we can kind of trip into and make more important than God, and they can become idols in our life. And the antidote that we find in Scripture is not 
uh, necessarily to go and tear down the idols in all the high places like it would have been in the Old Testament, but it's to order things correctly. It's to take good things and allow them to be good, if they are, and to say, I'm going to worship God and it's going to be more important than this good thing. Or to take things that lead us to sin or lead us away from God and to eliminate those things and to eradicate those things. And so that's kind of where we find ourselves. And I want you to know that God, when he was sort of uh, creating Israel and, and removing them from slavery and calling them out to a place uh, that was outside of Egypt, he was preparing people to be his kingdom ambassadors. He was trying to create a group of people in a specific way. And so God was like slowly sort of building a culture into them that would allow them to look different than the rest of the world. And it's still that way with the Jews. I don't know how many Hasidic or Orthodox Jews that you know. I have known many in my life. I lived in New York and uh, New Jersey for quite a while before I moved out to Minnesota. And in that area, there was a significant amount of Orthodox and Hasidic Jews, um, and they lived completely differently. When you interacted with a person who was that uh, type of Jewish person, you knew from the moment you were talking with them that you were talking to somebody who was Jewish. They still had all their customs that separated them from the culture. And in a way, that's what God wanted. He wanted them to be separate from the culture. But then they sort of took it to another extreme of separating themselves so much that they couldn't make a difference in the culture, right? You would, you would meet somebody and have a relationship with them, but you were only allowed so far into their world, and you were only allowed so far into their life, and you were only allowed so far into their culture. It wasn't something that was shared. It wasn't something you were invited into. It was a, incredibly difficult to become one of those people and to join with, with what they were doing. And it was a completely separate, yes, but completely irrelevant to most of the world around us. God has called us to be separate, yes, but also inviting and allowing people to come in and be part of what we're doing. And so as God was taking Israel out of Egypt, he was creating a people that were set apart unto himself. And this is what it says in Exodus chapter 20. As Moses says, like, walk them out of Egypt, and they've seen all these incredible moments happen where God has basically provided for them first the plagues in Egypt, uh, bringing them leaders out of nowhere. Moses comes onto the scene from being away for so long, uh, then leading them out, then watching the entire army of Pharaoh be like completely crushed and, and uh, you know, pulverized by the ocean. And then sort of they, as they walk around the desert and sort of get themselves on the way to the promised land, they're led by a cloud of fire by day and smoke by, smoke by day and fire by night. I'm getting that right. Uh, don't, don't test me on that. I don't know. Uh, and then every morning they would wake up and there was magic bread on the ground to feed everybody. I mean, like, they're, they're walking away and God is just pro- like showing over and over. Like, he's just showing them, hey, here's another miracle. Here's another miracle. Here's how powerful I am. You can trust me. You can worship. And I think sometimes we think like, okay, you, you, you know, I would worship God a whole lot more if he showed up in power and I saw miracles in my life. Right? Like if you would just do some of the things that I pray for, or if you would just do some of the things and show up in certain ways, then it would be easy for me to worship God. I look at the, the Jews then, and I think, like, how easy was it for them to worship God? Well, well, it still wasn't. I promise you that if God did everything you wanted to, you would still find things to set your heart on that, weren't, that, aren't, that aren't God. You'd still struggle with making God number one in your life, and you'd still struggle with idolatry. That would be something that you would have trouble with because you're human. And your heart misleads you. It leads you towards things that aren't the best for you. 
It takes your eyes off of God and what he's doing and goes towards other things. And it doesn't matter if you're seeing every single miracle in the entire world or not, right? We're going to find a way to worship other things. It's what we do. We have to be careful always to keep our eyes on our heart and not trust our heart. Our heart will mislead us all the time. We have to be focused on what God wants. And so God, is, as he is speaking to the Israelites, he, they've gone out, they've showed up at, at a mountain, and now uh, Moses has kind of been going up and going down. He's been talking to the people. And here's what God uh, says to the people as he's sort of separating them and calling them to be, be separate. He says, and God spoke these words. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And he tells the Israelites, hey, here's the deal. I want to separate you and I want to create you into something, but I want you to know, above all other things, I want you to worship me first. Now, it's going to be easy for you to worship all these other things. All these other things are going to be important in your life. They're going to be things that are, most of these things, a lot of these things are good. But I don't want you to worship what's been created. I want you to worship the creator. That's what we do as people. We fight with worshiping the creator and we start to worship the things that he created. We start to worship the things that weren't designed to be worshiped. worshiped. And God is jealous for our attention. He is jealous for us to put him first in our lives. And it's, you know, he just won't compete for our affection. It's not in him to fight with your idols. It's in him to call you out of those things and into putting him first in your life. And so Moses is up on the mountain and he spent 40 days on the mountain kind of talking with God. They, Israelites, you know, the Jews, they had sent him up the mountain and thought he's going to come back with all these messages from God. This will be great. He goes up the mountain, and in 40 days, they lose complete faith in what's going on, and they imagine that Moses is dead. Now, I can see why, okay? Because they're down on the ground, they're looking up on the mountain, and there's like lightning, and there's like, you know, just like you can tell there's like this sort of presence that's up there that's kind of doesn't sound like it's real happy. And Moses went up there on his own, and he could have just been overwhelmed by the power that they can see that's rested on the top of this mountain, and they think he's done. And they wait another day and another day and another day, and in 40 days, boom, they start to lose faith, and they think he's not coming back. Okay, I can almost give him a pass for that. I think any of us doing something for 40 days is like a way to like have a new rhythm in our lives. Once you've done something for 40 days, it becomes a rhythm. And so they've watched something basically just come apart out of their life, and now they're replacing it with something else. That's another thing I just want to throw it out there. Like, if you don't show up to church for 40 days, if you don't open a Bible in 40 days, if you don't spend time in a small group with people who are encouraging you for 40 days, if you don't pray for 40 days, you, you pretty much throw away the rhythms that you have in about a month's time, or maybe a little more than a month's time, and then it's, it's work to get back into those rhythms, right? Anybody who started at the gym in January, you know and you're still paying that gym membership that you started up, but February came, and you know, you're just, the beginning of it, you're just not real sure. You maybe went back once again, because I'm, like, I'm going to get going again in February, and then 
like now we're you know the 18th here, and you know you're just like maybe I should just stop that membership. Like 30 days, it gives you a pattern. 40 days gives you a pattern in your life, and the Jews have basically just in 40 days lost all their faith and kind of replaced what they thought was going to happen with another idea. And so this is where they're at. It says, When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Aaron is Moses' brother and kind of in charge while Moses went up the mountain. And Aaron is a little bit afraid of the people. He kind of wants to make sure that he's trying to keep them happy. It's kind of a mob. He doesn't want to lose control of the mob. He wants to make sure that they're okay. right? And so it says, They gathered around Aaron and they said, Come, let us make gods who will go before us as for this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what will happen to him. Aaron answered them, Take off your gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. And so they're like, Hey, this fellow Moses, we're not so sure. He could be dead. We're not sure. He's not coming back. So let's just go into the next best thing. And Aaron says, Oh, okay, fine. Let's take all the gold in the camp. And you're like, How do... These people who just came out of slavery have gold. Where does all this gold come from? Like they, they were slaves in Egypt and now they have all this gold, enough gold to make a golden calf that they begin to worship. Well, on the way out of Egypt, God made the Egyptians literally hand off all of the valuables that they had to the Jews. They carried out, they plundered Egypt and carried it all out with them. So they immediately went from worshiping God to worshiping the possessions that God had given them. That's pretty common. Pretty common idol for a lot of us. God blesses us. He gives us something to steward. We then turn around and use the the blessings that he's given us to buy things that we use as status. And the minute that we take our eyes off God, those status items start to define us. And so Aaron says, hey, let's sacrifice all these status items into this thing that will allow us to worship in uh, Moses' absence. And so he takes all the earrings, and he takes all the jewelry, and he takes all the gold that the people have. It says, He took what they handed him, and he made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. That's important later. He fashioned it himself with his own hands and with a tool that he had. Yep. He took it and handed them and made the idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward they sat down to eat and to drink and got up to indulge in revelry. And and when you translate those words, it's um, exactly what you think. It's like the kind of stuff that happens in Vegas, I guess, would be the best way that I could put it without being very blunt and straightforward. It's, it's very loose. It's very much exactly everything that you would think. And revelry is translated here um, in a way that maybe doesn't exactly explain, but they basically went right into revelry, debauchery, however you want to call it. They went straight into uh, indulging in all the things that God would have caused them not to. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down. Your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. I love how God uses the, uh, those are your people. 
hey, look what they're doing right now. Mm, not my people. N no, my people wouldn't be acting like this. This is, this is what you, this is, in, this is on you, bro. Sends him down the mountain. He says, they have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. And they have bowed down to it and they have sacrificed to it. And they have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. And I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, they are stiff Necked people. God is ready to just judge them all and start over with Moses. Moses intervenes by praying and sort of asking God and saying, Look, God, this will, this will work out a lot better in this land if people know that you didn't just bring your people out of slavery than to judge them in the desert. Give me a chance. I'll go down and talk to them. I'll go down and, and take care of this and, and cover what's going on down there. So God's like, Good luck. Go for it. Like that's the conversation that they're having at the top of the hill. And God is ready. He's ready to judge them. It says how quickly they transitioned on, on a dime, just essentially to go right to this other lifestyle. And what you're missing here, reading it in our day and age, is that there is this incredible mixture of stuff that's going on, of pagan worship getting mixed in with worship of this God who has saved them and brought them out of Egypt. They've taken the worship practices of pagan worship, which included revelry and debauchery, and they've mixed it into what they're doing, worshiping God. They don't know the name or what God looks like, so they make a golden calf, which has a connection to the pagan worship that was happening in their day. So they kind of are mixing these two things and saying, hey, we're going to have a little bit of this pagan worship stuff and a little bit of this of this Christianity, we're going to mix these two things together and that's what we're going to do because now we can have a face and a name to the God and we can do the things that we want and we can essentially worship ourselves and worship our possessions and worship our status, worship our stuff and sort of God is just a little piece over here in the corner because yeah, he brought us out of, out of Egypt. And I, I just want you to know like we do that all the time and very quickly. We often look at Scripture and go, I like these parts, but not these parts. I don't want to apply all this. All this seems like too much. So I'm going to leave this part out and this part out, and I'm going to focus on this other thing. I'm just going to do this part. And we build our own version of Christianity sometimes, and we're trying to make it fit into culture and what God is trying to do is pull us out of culture. So God is trying to say, come be separated right, from the world around you. And we're like, no, I'm in the middle of building my own religion, which includes a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of debauchery. Or a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of politics that I worship. Or a little bit of, of Jesus and a little bit of culture because I still want to be this sort of warrior for all these issues, but I don't know how they fit with my Bible. I haven't really figured all that out. I don't know how God feels about these things, but these are the important things to me. Now, let me tack a little bit of God onto it. And we end up with this version of Christianity that isn't really doing anything for us. It's like when Timothy, uh, when Paul is talking to Timothy, he says, there will be a form of Christianity in the end days where people will surround themselves with like, people who tell them what they want to hear. And they'll, they'll have this form of Christianity, There's like, but it doesn't have any of the soul of what it means to follow Jesus. Like It's missing 
all of the difficult stuff and all of the pain and all of the hard part and all of the, you know, the stuff that people don't necessarily want to swallow or want to allow to, to put them in a certain direction. They want to allow culture to put them in the other direction. He's like, and they'll surround themselves with people who tell them what their itching ears want to hear, and they'll have a form of the gospel. They'll have a form of Christianity, but it'll be lacking in power. I think there's a lot of Christians now who live in a way where they don't see any power in their life because they haven't really, really embraced Jesus. And they haven't really embraced his word, and they haven't really embraced his lifestyle. They expect that Jesus should protect them from bad things and keep them from any pain and should order their life to fit culture. And they mix, they mix these, these, these versions of religion. That's what idolatry is. It's like saying, hey, I, I want to be a Christian. Like, I want to make sure people know I'm a, I'm a Christian, but I don't, want, I don't want this part. I don't want that part. I don't want the Bible. I don't want, I just, just give me that love part or just, you know, I just want to show up once in a while to church and feel good about myself. Like, that's the version of Christianity I think a lot of people are practicing. And Jesus is saying, no, like, from the beginning, I want to separate people from culture. I want to separate people from the world and create people who are, you know, designed to be unto me, right? So God calls his worshipers to be holy. And this idea of holiness is not probably what you think. You think of like all the rules that you have to follow as a person, you know, growing up, you had all these spiritual rules that you had to follow. You can't do this, can't do this, can't do this. The word holy doesn't really have anything to do with that stuff. The word holy literally means to be separated and it means to be separated in the version that we're talking about here, the one that God wants from us, separated unto God, separated for use by God, separated to build God's kingdom, to give your life as a sacrifice to what he's doing. You've been called to do something, to live a certain way, to embody Jesus on a daily basis, not just to be this sort of mixed-up Christian who's mixing your religion with other pieces of culture and then saying, this isn't powerful. You're right, it's not powerful. Because it's not embracing Jesus fully. And it's not living his way. So God calls his worshipers to be holy. So Moses comes down the mountain and he says to the people, like, hey, which one of you dummies did this? Like, what is going on here? That was like my nice way of saying it, right? Uh, and of course, Aaron's like, uh, I guess it was me. I was trying not to let there be a riot. I was trying to keep everybody happy. So yeah, I did. I made this thing, and I gave them a chance to worship this thing. And I, I, Sorry. So he says, this is what Moses says. He said, he said to Aaron, Why did these peop- what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Don't be angry, my lord, Aaron answered. This is the biggest cop-out ever. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. They gave me the gold. I threw it into the fire and out came a calf. (laughs) Come on, man. That's really poor leadership, by the way. Like, I just want you to know, like, it's tough to lead it's tough to be a pastor, to be a DLT member, to be a staff member. Uh, you know, and our, we talk all the time among our groups of leaders in this church. Like, we have to be putting forward uh, 
an example of what it means to follow Jesus. And we have to be making tough decisions and we have to be guiding people in the right way and we have to be living selflessly and we have to be serving the people who are part of the church. And it's a lot. It's a lot to be a leader. It's easy to give in to the sin that the crowd wants. It's easy to even do things that look like they're not so bad, but like lead people not to Jesus. It's easy to entertain people instead of really talk about the word, instead of really talk about what Jesus is doing. It's easy to just kind of keep everybody happy when people are starting to struggle and to not call out their sin, to not challenge them. Like it's easy to do those things, and we have leaned really hard in the direction of not being like that. I recognize that there are churches all over the place that would just like to entertain you and keep you happy, send you home feeling good, and we'll see you next week. Make sure you write that check. Like, I understand that's the version of Christianity that's around, and it's, it's powerless. It's missing what it means to worship Jesus. Like, to put him first in your life, it's missing the difficult stuff. It's missing the pain and the hurt that comes along with living in this world it's missing a lot of the difficult choices that you have to make as a Christian. And again, not to go start a fight with people or to try to win culture over exactly towards the standards of Jesus because that ship has sailed. We're not in a culture war. I'm not encouraging any of you guys to go start a culture war with your coworkers and your friends and family and your social media followers. That's exactly, I mean, I feel like that would be a whole other sermon, and it would be Jesus all day long just saying, please don't do that. Please. And they didn't have social media, and yet there's still passages about social media in the Bible that are like, please don't do that, okay? Please don't alienate all your coworkers because you're trying to make this huge stand. Just plant yourself firmly in what it means to be a believer in Jesus and live it out. And love people and encourage them and invite them into it and do everything you can to make a difference in their lives by serving them, by sacrificing for them, by loving them. I, it's really, it's, it's not that complicated. You don't need to go and fight with people and win them over. You won't win them over. No one has ever been fought into the kingdom of God. No one's ever lost an argument and said, okay, now let me go, I should go follow Jesus now. You, you beat me. You beat me fair and square. We had this argument about, you know, God and existential issues. You know what? You made a lot of sense. Now I'm going to go follow Jesus. Like, that's not what wins people to the gospel, right? What wins people to the gospel is when you sacrifice for them, when you love them in a, in a way that Jesus would love them, when you care about them, really care about them the way that God cares about them. That's what wins people into the kingdom of God. And we're not calling for a holy war. I think the church has gotten that wrong for so long. That's not what we're called to do. There's more on that, by the way, on the podcast, if you want to listen to it sometime. It, we talked a little bit about that a couple episodes ago. Here's what Paul had to say about this in Romans chapter 1. It's not just an Old Testament issue. It's not just a golden calf issue. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, for although they knew God, he's talking about people who have trouble with idolatry, which is all of us. He said they neither glorified him as God nor gave, him, gave thanks to him. They didn't put him in his right place. He was just a piece of their, of their worship, just a piece of their religion that they had created. He said, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. 
And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. They, they, they started to worship the creation and not the creator. Therefore, God gave them over to their sinful desires, to sexual impurity, degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is praised forever. Amen. And this, this is what we're talking about when Jesus talked about that. He talked about, hey, worship the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind, not worship him second to something else, not put anything else that you worship above him. Worship him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with everything you have in you. Worship him with that first. Everything else will order itself below that. When Jesus talks about seeking first the kingdom of God, and its righteousness, and everything else will be added unto you. Right? Put, putting God first is the key piece of what it looks like to follow, to follow Jesus. James, when he talks about religion that isn't defiled, that is pure, right? He, he's telling us, hey, there's this other type of religion that all of us like to practice that is defiled, that isn't pure. Be careful not to fall into those, those traps what we end up with is disordered loves that lead to disordered lives. We have disordered loves, disordered things that we put above God and that leads to disordered lives. When our career is more important than our relationship with God, when money is more important, when comfort is more important, when you know, uh, the, the sins of the flesh are more important than God, we have a disordered life that causes us to do things that only hurt the people around us and only hurt ourselves, and we find ourselves not worshiping Jesus the way that he has called us. He wants us to be separated and set apart unto him and useful for his kingdom. We even do this as parents. We do this without even knowing it. We use one idol against another to control and manipulate our children. We, we, I'm, I've definitely done this. Hey, I'll give you all the time you want on your iPad as long as you do something. Like We use one against another instead of actually dealing with the root issue that needs to be dealt with for our kids. Like it's, it's ingrained in us to do this, and we have to step back and go, okay, where in my life am I falling down and worshiping something that I shouldn't worship, even good things? What am I putting above God in my life, even if it's a good thing, so Moses, back to Moses, said Moses saw that the people were running wild. Okay, so even after he comes down and even after he sort of yells at everybody about what's going on, the people are still running wild. They're practicing debauchery and revelry. The people were running wild and Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughingstock to their enemies. And so he stood at the entrance of the camp and he said, whoever is for the Lord Come to me. And I want you to know that when you see your sin and you see there's something above God in your life that you're worshiping, when you step back and have that aha moment and it becomes clear to you that there's something in your life that's more important to you than the things that should be number one in your life, than your relationship with God, then you have a choice. There's always a choice. You can continue to go down the path of worshiping the thing that 
you have made the most important thing in your life. Or you can step back and you can walk across the camp and cross the line and say, I now understand that this is sin and I now need to do something about this in my life. And in this case, the Levites, the class of people who would become the priests, it says the Levites rallied to Moses. They were the kind of people who said, okay, we see our sin and we want to do something about it. And they went across camp and they crossed the line and they said, we're going to make a decision today not to allow our sin to eat us up. But yeah, we're not okay with this. That's where we find ourselves all the time. When I see something in my life that's sinful, I have to walk across the camp and cross the line and say, no more of this. Like, this is what it looks like. And responding to sin should lead us always to repentance. It should lead us to turn 180 degrees, not 360. I used to always make that mistake. 180 degrees and go in the opposite direction. That's what repentance looks like. It says, no more of this, I'm going towards God. That's what happened in this situation. Moses challenges them. The Levites say, hey, we're 100% going to worship God and we see our sin here. It says, the next day Moses said to the people, You've committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make an atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. By the way, if I were Moses right there, just to push my luck, I would have been like, Your people have committed. <laughs> he, he might have got, got it if he did that. But now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Oh, oh what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now... Please forgive their sin. But if not, then take me too. Don't restart with just me. He said, blot me out from the book that you have written. And he might, he might have just finished it. You know, when he, when he was saying they made themselves gods of gold, they could just, he could just say they have made themselves gods. Because that, that's what it comes down to. It comes down to our own selfishness, serving ourselves, wanting to be comfortable, wanting to be, you know, wanting to have certain things that define who we are, wanting to build our identity in a certain way that allows us to have certain status items, and wanting to have certain power or control, wanting to have all these things. It just drives us to do the things that God would rather us not order at the top of the list in our lives. That he, he wants to be there. He is a jealous God. He wants to separate us from the world and turn us into something that is valuable and meaningful and can change the lives of people. We don't have to go war, right? We don't have to go to war with people. We can just plant ourselves in the place that God has called us to live. We run our families this way. We run our relationships this way. We use our money this way. We do things that create a counterculture, a different culture than the world is building. It's actually not that complicated. And somewhere deep down, we know the things that we serve those idols in our lives that have become more important than God, and we know what we need to do when we are you know, shown our own sin, when the Holy Spirit shows us what it is that's become more important than God and what that looks like to create uh, or how to handle that sin and to find that repentance. I, just, I feel like sometimes we miss the idea that we can have so much influence in this world if we live this way. And I think we miss the idea that if all of us were living this way, what kind of a difference a church, a whole church that's living in a countercultural way can make in the world around it. I hope that the communities that you live in are changed by the people of this church living in a way that honors God. We don't have to have 
uh, an antagonistic relationship with the world around us. And we don't have to try to win some battle that we weren't even called to fight. All we need to do is make God first and plant ourselves in the place that he has called us to live and do the things that he has called us to do and resist right, becoming like the culture and the world around us. We pray that God would do that in our lives. Jesus, again, would you just show us in our lives where we have um, idols, modern idols, things that we value more than we value what you've called us to. We don't want to be obnoxious Christians that fight with people uh, and try to win them into the kingdom by winning some sort of war. God, we want to have you in our focus, be planted in the place that you've called us to be planted, live the way that you've called us to live with dignity and grace for people that you love and care about. God, that we would sacrifice for others, that we would put them first, that we would find ways to surprise them with the kind of Christianity that we live. And God, would you just continue to show us what these idols are and to uh, show us what it looks like to move away from the things that have tripped us up and caused sin to happen in our lives and, and caused us to have disordered loves? And would you be first in our lives? individually as we seek to honor you, but then also as a congregation, God, would you change this world because of the movement that's happening in the lives of people? God, help us to worship you above all other things. In Jesus' name, amen.